And so we begin tonight in Psalm 56, and notice what it says in verse 1. It's to the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands, a mictom of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. Okay, so think about that for a second. Have you ever been captured? Have you ever been captured by the enemy's army? You know, maybe some of you here have. You've served in the military, or maybe you know someone who has. I was thinking about that guy, Louis Zamperini. He was an Olympian, and then he was a war hero. He was flying over the Pacific Ocean in World War II, and you guys remember his plane went down, and he was floating in a raft for 47 days. Think about that. And while he was floating in the raft, he looked up at the stars, and he wasn't a believer at the time, but he saw this certain constellation, and he said, God, if you get me out of this, I vow to serve you. Next thing you know, the Japanese caught him. He was there tortured for two years, but eventually he was rescued, and he comes back to uh, the, you know, the country here, and what ends up happening is he, because of PTSD, he's more lost then than he was before. And so he finds himself drinking and, and basically he was lost and he was going to lose everything in life. And so what ends up happening one day is Billy Graham crusade comes into town and uh, his wife gets saved, and then what ends up happening is he starts going to the crusades. He goes the first night, and at the time of the altar call, he leaves, and then uh, he goes the second night, and as he's leaving again, he looks out up at the skies. He's walking away from God. He's walking away from the altar call. He's walking away from victory. He looks up in the, star, in the sky night, and guess what he sees? He sees the same constellation, that he saw when he was drifting at sea for 47 nights. That time when he said to God, I vow to serve you. And God reminded him of a promise he made. And so he went back in to the crusade and he ends up getting saved. And God did a great work. And here's a man who was in captivity. And here's a man that in one sense, we're going to see in the next psalm, he's in a cave. David was in captivity of the enemy. David was in a cave, we're going to see, uh, of Adullam on the run from Saul. But it, he didn't lose. He didn't lose. He, he, he won his, for his life. He, he won the challenge of the calling on his life. But it's because he fought. And he fought. And he fought. And he fought. And he fought by praying and by singing. And so you guys, we have to do the same thing. Uh, we've been talking about this, and I know you're probably tired of hearing it, you know, but we, we've got to be a people of prayer, and nothing's going to change. And you're wondering, well, why isn't anything changing? And it's probably because you're, you're not praying. James chapter 4 and verse 2, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. And so we're going to see that tonight. It's amazing to me. David writes his psalm when he's captured by the Philistines, the background is 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. And when you guys read the story there, it's kind of a, a hard to figure out exactly the chronology of everything. But what ends up happening is David is running from Saul. He, 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 for whatever reason, he runs to the Philistines. Now, you guys know who the Philistines are, right? They're like the arch enemy 
of Israel. Remember Goliath? You guys know he was a Philistine, right? So David killed their hero. And so David, you know, he goes uh, into Saul's army. He starts uh, killing a lot of Philistines. How, how in the world would, would, he be, would he end up back there with the enemy? And then as he gets there, thinking maybe he might find refuge, he realizes that things are not going well. He pretends to be mad. And then they put him in a holding tank. And probably when he's, when he's in the holding tank and they're trying to figure out whether or not we should let this guy live or not, whether or not we should let this guy go or not, is when we're, we're reading now what's going on in his mind. And, he, and if you can visualize yourself, if you can, in a prison cell, captive by whoever it is, the Iranians or someone that you consider, you know, they're our enemy. And you're there in the cell wondering if whether or not you're going to win or not. And you, what are you doing? You're fighting. You're praying. Maybe you're in a different type of cave. Maybe you're in a different type of captivity. Don't give up. Fight. Pray. Look at what David did as he clung to God's promise. Here in Psalm 56, it says, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, almost high. You know, the Philistines, they think they're bad. You know, the, the king here and King Saul, yeah, he's a king of Israel, but you're the most high. And so, Lord, be merciful to me. And then we've seen this over and over again. David's in danger, so he gives himself to prayer, calling out for mercy. They're, they're hunting me. They're hounding me all day. Uh, I'm so low because I know they just want to swallow me up. And Lord, it's not just Saul. Now it's uh, the, the dudes that are following Saul. Now it's the Philistine army. It's many others that he's influenced through lies, and they just all want to take me down. And what he does is he fights for survival. You know, you can think of other stories. Have you guys ever heard of those crazy stories of people up in, I don't know, in, in the mountains, you know, for weeks or in the wilderness or, you know, different stories of survival. If they wanted to, they could have just quit, right? But, but a lot of times you see them fighting and, and they're doing these things, you know. I remember the other, you know, young kid, uh, Indonesian, was floated off the off the coast there of Indonesia, and he's drinking uh, seawater as he's filtering it through his clothes, and, you know, he's killing fish. He's doing what he can to survive. You know, that's what we need to do. We're fighting. This is what David's doing. He's fighting because people want to take him down. He's fighting for survival through prevailing prayer, and we need to do the same, you guys. And you can almost visualize, when you read the psalm, you, you can almost visualize David running to the Lord and then standing behind him saying, Lord, protect me. Look at verse 3. He says, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? And so verse 3, whenever I am afraid. Now, it's interesting to me that David doesn't deny the fact that he's afraid. He acknowledges it, that it's present, that fear is pounding at the door of his heart. But, but when it does, David has enough sense to say, but, but Lord, uh, I'm going to let faith answer the knock at the door. 
And what he does is he chooses to trust God. And uh, we talked about this a lot. His convictions triumph over his, mo his emotions. His faith triumphs over his feelings. It's as if David makes a deal with himself and then he lets the Lord know, look again, verse 3, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And, and this is what we need to do, right? This is what we need to make a deal with God as well. Have you guys said that? Have you made that deal with God? Whenever I'm afraid, God, whenever I'm afraid, Something happens, something I feel is going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Have you made that deal? Whenever you're afraid, you're going to trust in God. That's what we read right here. That's what David does, and I think we need to do the same. And it's not just trust. Notice there again in, in verse 4, in God I will praise. I will praise his word. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. And so that's how we fight, you guys. You know, we fight uh, those challenges of life through prayer and praise. That's how we do it. I'm not just going to squeak by. I'm going to stand on the promise. I'm going to sing that song. I wanted to grab some of the songs that Angel was singing. And I don't know if you guys do this when you're singing, but, you know, you're, you're reading that, you know, that God's going to be victorious. God will... You know, heal the, the, the hurting heart. God is going to set the captive free. You're, you're singing those songs. You're standing on those promises. You, you pray and then you praise because at the end of the day, what can flesh do to me? And, and notice how we pray and we praise. And the third thing we do is we ponder. What? Let me ask you a question. I know, know you guys are theologians, right? What can man do to you? What can man do to you? Have you ever grappled through that theological question? I know you guys know the, the Bible, right? What can man do to you? He can't do nothing to you unless God says so. You know that? So why do you have to be afraid? What, what can man do to you? He can't touch you unless God says so. And we see that so vividly in the book of Job, which is an interesting thing. I don't know if you guys have ever thought this through, but I always wondered, why is the book of Job before the book of Psalms? And I have a feeling, you know, and there's probably a lot more to it because we know it's probably the oldest book written in the Bible. But, you know, God wants to establish that, that, that truth that, that evil is not authored by the Almighty, it's authored by the devil, but even that can't touch you unless the Lord allows it. And if he allows it, then it's going to be good for you. See, those things have to be established. And then we can go into the Psalms and we can talk about all the things and all the struggles and all the challenges of life. And if it touches you, then understand it's been filtered through his sovereign love and God is going to work something beautiful from those ashes so you know we pray and we praise and we ponder what can man do to me and the, and the answer is really it's nothing right you know the truth is that man has no authority over our life job is the poster child for that story i think of job he had a rough life he lived on valley boulevard i mean he lived there 
I mean, just the deepest valley of all. He, all his kids died. I mean, I don't know if I could survive, you know, one of my children dying, but all of them dying. He loses all his finances. He, you know, flesh, he's hanging by the thread. Uh, I mean, and, and so, you know, but he becomes uh, used. All his sufferings are used to encourage those who would suffer after him. You see? And it all ends up having a beautiful purpose. So David says there in verse 4, I will praise his word. You know, other translations say, I will boast in his promise. You know, you ladies are getting ready to go to your retreat, and I pray God will bless you as you go. That's the theme of the retreat. It has God's precious promises. And what David is doing right here is he's boasting in God's promise. What promise? What promise? One day, David, you're going to be king. One day, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you here, 1 Samuel chapter 16, a 17-year-old old guy, Samuel, you know, the Billy Graham of his day, he comes and he anoints him with oil. He says, one day, little guy, you're going to be king. And so David doesn't make it happen. David just loves the Lord. David serves the Lord. But now he's in captivity. And, and what ends up happening now is as he's in the middle of this whole thing, What's he doing? He's, he's holding on to that promise. I can't die. I can't die. Because God said, one day I'd be king. And he believed the promise. He was boasting in the promise. He was clinging to those promises. And we have to do the same thing. You know, when you look at this whole thing and you see how it all worked out, Part of the way he fought was through prayer and praise and pondering theological questions and, and possessing those promises. You know, and, and David here, and we're going to see at the end of the, the Psalms, it, it, it influences the whole wide world. And I don't know for sure if all of us have the capacity to necessarily influence the whole wide world, but I tell you what, that's what I'm shooting for. And that's what you should be shooting for too. Lord, I don't know really all the details of it, but at the end of the day, I do want to be used by you to influence the whole wide world. And so David becomes a, a, an inspiration for us, an example for us, that when you're there in captivity, because you've wandered away, and that's how he got there, he wandered away, you can still fight. And you can still come back, you know? So we watch these games and these teams, sometimes they're down by whatever, 35 points, and you're going into the fourth quarter and you think the game's over, but next thing you know, LeBron James, you know, I'm just joking, any, you know, the Lakers, uh, they come back or whatever, you know? And, and that's my prayer for us, that we would pray, that we would praise, that we would ponder, that we would possess those promises, and in the process we would learn how to win, how to fight our way through all these things. You know, when you pray, no one else can do it for you. I mean, we can pray for you, but one of the things we've learned as a pastor, you know, and you can talk to any of the pastors here, we, we can do everything we can, but we can't do it for you. You have to get on your knees. You have to get into the Word. You have to love the Lord. You have to realize how much He's loved you. When you go wrestle, I mean, that's, you know, one of the pictures we have in the Bible you know, remember Jacob wrestling with God. It's a, one of the most beautiful pictures of prayer. But when you wrestle, it's one-on-one. -on -one. 
And that's what we have to do with God. You know, David tells God about all his struggles. Look at verse 5. All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are, are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity? And anger cast down the peoples, O God. He tells God what they're doing, and then he kind of suggests to God, well, this is what you should do with them, Lord. This is how you should deal with them. You know, when you look at this right here, what we find is that David lifts it all up to the Lord, his heart, his hurt, his haters, these guys that are after him. Verse 5 says, they twist his words and their thoughts are against him. They're united in their uh, uh, teamwork to bring him down. He said, Lord, don't let them get away with it. Don't let them escape. You know, please, Lord, take him down. And, and you know, God would eventually defeat Saul. Saul would die. God would eventually wipe out the Philistines. There are no more Philistines today. They're wiped out. Saul's gone. Wiped out. Maybe, maybe partially because David prayed. You know, when I, when I see, you know, people, and, you know, coming and doing weird things, I mean, whatever, I don't know, molesting uh, children, raping, ravaging, terrorists. I mean, there are some people that are just, they're just really, really, you know, out there, you know, my prayer is, is kind of like this, Lord, um, make them repentant, save them, or, or make them impotent. And, and don't let them have that influence anymore. Don't let them do their things anymore. You know, we should pray prayers like that. We should be angry at sin. So David here, he wouldn't lift his hand against Saul. He wouldn't, you know... He, barely had enough nerve to cut off his robe because he didn't want to, you know, do that against God's anointed. But he did pray. And that's what we need to do. We need to give it to God. God would eventually defeat Saul and the Philistines, but it would take time and trials and years of tears. But eventually, God would give him the answer to his prayer. You know, it brings us to really now one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. Look at verse 8. It says, You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? That's an awesome verse, isn't it? And when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God, notice, is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And so when you're afraid, which I'm pretty sure David's afraid right now, this is what you do. This is what you do. You, you say, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And do you see what ends up happening? You are now standing on God's word. You're now influenced by those words that you're verbalizing. You're confessing with your mouth. You're believing in your heart. You're afraid. No, I will not be afraid. You're talking to yourself. People might think you're crazy. 
but it's okay. <laughs> I want to talk to myself. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You know, it's just so cool, this passage, you know. Verse 8, you number my wanderings. You know, and I, I, I was, this is a hard, it's a little hard to figure out. You number my, what are you talking about wanderings? I, I think that this, uh, the truth is at the end of the day, it's when we wander from the Lord. Have you ever done that? You know, I got saved in 89 and by the grace of God, and I have to give God all the glory, I have never backslid. You know, I had a lot of friends. I've gone back and forth and up and down and all around and stuff. By the grace of God, man, I got involved in ministry and we just kept going, you know? And so we've never backslid. But does that mean we've never wandered? I'll, I would venture to say that if I was to be honest, that there were times in my life where my heart wasn't as much on fire. You know, where maybe my prayer life waned or, or whatever. I was just going through the motions because we all know how to do that. And so I think in one sense, you know, maybe we've all wandered. Some have wandered more than others. But, but you know, here it's that David says, you number my wanderings. And, and so what does that mean? Um, well, it means that he, he numbers them, he counts them. Some theologians even believe it means he limits them. Okay, you, one, two, three, you've been, you wandered seven times now. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> and so you know what he does? He gets you, he picks you up, and he breaks your legs. You guys ever heard that illustration, that sheep that always wants to wander? And so God says, enough. And he goes and he breaks the legs and then the sheep can't wander and he picks it up and puts it on his shoulders and what ends up happening is while that sheep's legs heal, then uh, you know, by the time he's, he's all better, what has he learned? He has learned through his discipline and broken legs to stay close to the shepherd. And that's really what David is doing. I mean, part of you, you know, his heart goes out to him because he has to run away from Saul. But, but another part of you is like, what? You ran away from Saul to the Philistines? And he wandered. And, he, and, and it's, it's kind of a trip to think that, that David wandered. And then we also read there in verse, four, verse 8, you number my wanderings and you put my tears into your bottle. You know, I mean, when you look at not only would God count his wanderings, it's interesting here how we see God would keep his tears. Some of you here, you have cried many tears, many tears. Can you imagine God's bottle of your tears? You know, I, I know that, when, you know, when you look at this, some believe it's allegorical, you know, teaching basically that God is there aware of every tear, and it might just be that, you know, and that's a, even that is a comforting thought, but it might be literal as well. Because when we read the Bible, the hermeneutics, the, the science of hermeneutics tells us that if it makes sense, seek no other sense. And when the Bible says that God puts our tears into his bottle, I mean, that actually is something that's very doable for him. What if one day when you arrive there at home in heaven, the Lord breaks out the bottle that has every single tear you've ever cried? Wouldn't that be amazing? 
I mean, what if when you're there on home in heaven one day, he opens up the book and he reads all about your life, all the things that you've gone through. You know, David here, he'd gone through a lot. And then, and then, you know, as he's struggling here, and again, I visualize him in a holding tank, fighting his way out of it, fighting his way for survival, fighting his way for freedom. He's praying and he's saying, God, you number my wanderings, and Lord, you know the hurt. You, you, you put every tear in a bottle. I know that's the God that you are. They're all there, Lord. Everything about me, it's right there in your book, you know, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16 might be a cross-reference to look at later. It talks about the book of remembrance. You know, every once in a while, you know, someone will tell me, hey, you should write a book. And I tell them, I don't need to. God's already writing one. <laughs> one day we'll read it. We'll see what happens, man. But, you know, it's interesting here in verse 9, we see that David knew the power of prayer and he knew that God was for him. Notice again there in verse 9, when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. When do your enemies turn back? When you cry out to him. Not, not you know, fling up a weak prayer, you know, some anemic limp prayer, but when you cry out. When you cry out to the Lord, the enemies will turn back, right? And David says, and I, I know that. Why? Because, God, you're for me. And it's so important for us to know that God is on our side. We read the same thing in Psalm 118 in verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39 where he says, if God is for us, then who can be against us, right? David repeats verse 3 and 4 here in this section in verse 10, but he adds God's personal name to it. Notice again in verse 10, in God, I will praise his word, or you know, I will boast in his promise. In the Lord, I will praise his word and, and boast in his promise. And now, it's not just a general thing. God, it's a personal thing. That's his name. And so I put my trust there, Lord. What can man do to me? And so we read in, in verse 12, Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling? Now again, go back up to verse 1 for a second. I want to show you guys. Verse 1, it's a miktam of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. You know, other psalms say it's a psalm when God delivered him from his enemies. It doesn't say that right here. It says it's a psalm when he was captured. So he's there, he's in the middle of it. He's in the middle of captivity. And what is he doing? He is claiming victory. He's claiming it. He's saying right there, verse 13, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling? You know, I have a feeling that David was there and he was, you know, what a lot of people do when they're in situations like that, 
Have you guys ever, I'm curious, man. I wish I could talk to all of you. Have you ever made a vow, like say, Lord, if you get me out of this one, I'll serve you? <laughs> have you guys ever done that? Some of you have. I know I did before I was a Christian. And oh, Lord, if you get me out of this one, I'll serve you. You know, and that's what Louis Zamperini did. Floating on the raft, 47 days. Lord, if you get me out of this one, I'll serve you. That's what David is doing right here. I think verse 12, it talks about vows. Maybe there were vows made, David made prior to. Maybe it was vows that he's making right there. But he's saying, Lord, I, I vow to serve you. Forgive me for falling. But I now keep my vow. And God would do a work in his life. You know, it's so interesting how David here, uh, you know, he praises the Lord in, in verse 12b, I will render praises to you. And then we see the reason ultimately there in verse 13, because he has protected him spiritually and delivered his soul from death. And so it's a really cool psalm about David in captivity. And then Psalm 57 is about David in the cave. And so notice what we read in verse 1, to the chief musician, set to do not destroy a miktam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Okay, so think about it again, please. What would it be like being capt captured by the Iranians or whatever, these Islamic terrorists? Well, that's where David was kind of. Now, put yourself in this situation. What would it be like living in a cave? You know, and especially if you've gotten used to life in the palace, like David was there, he would eat with Saul, they would have the best food, you know, because I know a lot of you here, food is your love language, right? And it's like, there you are, you know, your best food. Next thing you know, you're living in a cave. Now, I know some of you here would be like, I would like to do that. I, I like living in a cave because, you know, you're campers or whatever. But, but understand, man, this is forced upon you. And, and this is the context of this psalm. You know, we read in 1 Samuel 22, in one, verse 1, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Warren Worsby said this about Psalm 57. This psalm and Psalm 142 are cave psalms that give you great encouragement. Your own cave may be a sick room, a difficult place of ministry, or even a home where there is tension or trouble. If you do what David did, you will experience peace and victory even in the cave. You know, it's in these caves, and I don't want to sound corny, but it's too late, huh? You guys already know me. It's in these caves where the enemy wants us to cave in. I'm done. I'm done with the ministry. I'm done with my marriage. I, I'm done with the fight. And, and in the cave, he wants you to cave in and he gets some people. But let it not be you. Right here in, in this place, it's interesting. Notice again in, in the beginning, it's, a, it's, it's, it's set to do not destroy. You know, that's the agenda of the enemy, John 10.10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy the calling on your life. Don't let him. Don't let him. 
You know, Damien Kyle is interesting. I was listening to him on these chapters right here. And just, you know, I think a lot of you guys know this. The, the whole, you're wondering, why did David have to run for 10 years? Why did he go through that craziness for 10 years? And, and Damien Kyle, he talks about the reason is preparation. He, preparation. He had to prepare him to be king. The reason why Saul went into it and sunk, the, way, the reason why he was a terrible, selfish king, is because he wasn't ready for it. His heart wasn't prepared. He didn't go through the hard times. You know, all the hard times that you're going through, and, you know, some of you here, you've been going through it for 10 days. For him, it's been 10 years. It'll be 10 years. But he would end up being the best king Israel would ever have. And I know that that's what God's doing when we go through the hard times. Is he's preparing us for something. And that's what we see here in David's life. Listen, there's no triumph without trouble. You know, there's no, and then you guys know this, right? No pain, no gain. Do I have my son in corny? You guys know this though, right? I mean, you know, um, if there's no cross, then there'll be no crown. You know, we have to go through these hard times and continue to serve the Lord and keep our eyes on Him. John Corson said this, Trouble never leaves you the same way it found you. It will either make you bitter or better the only question is where will you run will you run to god or will you run away from god and of course we know the answer is we have to run to god the enemy preys on us so david prays to god and look at verse one again he says be merciful to me O god be merciful to me for my soul trusts in you and in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. You know, and again, it's interesting. The previous chapter began with a plea for mercy, and now it does again. Because, you know, David acknowledges the fact that he's not a perfect man. None of us are. So whatever you do, when you're asking God for something and you're kind of worried about asking him because you haven't been a perfect person, listen, none of us are. Just go in there. The best way to start a prayer is be merciful to me. Lord, a sinner. He asks it twice here in verse 1. And, and, and he's telling God, why? My soul trusts in you and in the shadow of your wings. And undoubtedly, he had Psalm 91, which was written by Moses, who talks about how we flee to God under the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, psalm 17:8 is also a psalm of David where he prayed, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me under the shadow of your wings. David maybe even gleaned from his, you know, great, great, great grandmother Ruth in, in chapter 2 of verse 12 of that book, Boaz told her that the Lord would repay her work and give her a full reward he said, be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. And so you got to go to the Lord. You know, you have to go to the Lord here, it says, until these calamities have passed by. How long? Ten years. What? How about for Joseph, 13? Abraham, 25? Moses, he had to wait 40. You ready to wait? It's worth the wait. And so David committed to, to pray. Look at verse 2. I will cry out to God most high. 
There's that most high again, El Elyon, to God who performs all things for me. The word performs, it means bring to an end. It means finish the work that he started. Abel prayed that prayer today. God's going to do it. God's going to finish what he started. God is the one who does it, right? It says right here, he shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. You know, God's going to do the work, right? But, but understand, when you're reading the Bible, God does his part, we do our part. And what's David doing right here? He is praying. And he's not just praying, he's crying out, right? And we have to do the same thing. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You know, David, we see in verse 3, was confident that God would send help from heaven. Notice, he shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. And then we read in verse 3, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. And we're going to see that that becomes a big factor in the whole thing because David had been lied about. Saul had said a lot of stuff that wasn't true. And so while this psalm is being written, people don't really know what's going on, what's really going on, but eventually they would find out that Saul was a bad guy and David was actually blameless. And so the truth would prevail. And so we read in verse 4, my, my soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongues a sharp sword. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. Selah. And so David here in verse 4, he describes his enemies as lions. And they were doing a lot of lying, those lions, man, to the people about David. You know, when you look at this section right here, it's interesting how he describes their teeth and their tongues as spears and swords. And of course, what's he saying right here? That this war, it's, it's a war of words. It started with words and it's escalating through these words. They're twisting my words and they're saying this and they're talking slander and smack and, and gossip and just the crazy things because people are not careful in, in what they say. You know, what we find, it was kind of like fake news, right? <laughs> we see that a lot today, you know, but that's what was going on back then. You know, it's interesting also to me, notice again, if you would, there in verse 4, my soul is among lions, I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire. Who set them on fire? The devil, Right? Because James talks about that in James chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Even though so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things, see how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body 
and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Just think how better life would be, I don't know, in the family, in the ministry, in church, if, um, if we watched our words. Imagine how different it would be you know, and there you are right after church. It's a great thing that God does. And you go home and, and you're talking smack. You, you slander someone. You put them down. You know, don't, don't say things about people behind their back that you wouldn't say to their face. Because what's it doing? You're, you're starting a war. You're, 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 your tongue's on fire. And that fire, it comes from hell. I wish with all my heart that people would genuinely fear the Lord, knowing that he hears everything we say. That's what was going on here. Of course, it started with Saul, and next thing you know, it just spreads like wildfire. You know, And so we need to be so careful in all these things. You know, Verse 6, they were trying to take David down. And notice again in verse 6, he says, My soul is bowed down. And so he was down, you know, emotionally. It was like a roller coaster ride, right up and down. But it, it wasn't fun, right? And it, and it just means he was discouraged and he was tired. But, okay, here's the thing, okay? You guys listening? We're almost done here, okay? Up and down, up and down. That was his life, okay? Have you ever, have you ever felt that way? One day good, next day bad. One hour good, next hour bad. One minute good, next minute bad. Okay, so you feel like you're inconsistent, right? But look what he says next. Verse 7, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches into the heavens and your truth into the, unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. David wasn't writing this from the palace, just in case you're wondering. He was writing it from a cave. And that means so much. You know, here we're seeing he's up and down and all around, but then he says, my heart is steadfast. He says, I know what to do. I'll sing. I'll raise some praise to the Lord. And, and there, it's interesting, in verse uh, 8, he says, wake up. Wake up, lute and harp. It would be like that guitar right there. It would be kind of like this. The guitar right there was sleeping, and he was supposed to be praising, but it's been sleeping. And so now he says, enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wake up my guitar. I'm going to wake up the lute. I'm going to wake up the harp. I'm going to wake up the drums. I'm going to wake up these instruments. I'm going to wake up this, this church. I'm gonna, it's going to be a new day. It's interesting. He, I will awaken the dawn. What's the dawn? The dawn is like, it's the very beginning of a new day. And what it speaks about is a new work that God begins to do. What is David doing? He's, he's, he's fighting this thing and he's saying, man, I refuse. I refuse 
to keep my eyes on my circumstances and on my challenges and on my caves and my captivity. I refuse to, to focus and dwell on these troubles. No, I choose to fix my eyes on the Lord because I know He is going to deliver me out of all these things. And what does He do instead? He, he ends up praising the Lord. And, and to me, when I read this whole thing right here, when He talks about, you know, be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be above all the earth. Uh, to me, I was just thinking about how, you know, and you just never know. Because there's a saying, have you guys ever heard this saying? That the world has yet to see what God can do through one man who's completely surrendered to him. Have you guys ever heard that? I mean, what if that becomes you? You know, one man, one woman, one person, and just says, Lord, I'm going to give you everything. In captivity, in caves, doesn't matter. I know there's a calling on my life, and I surrender my life to you. And what if that was you? I believe that if we came to that type of commitment, that we could have an influence that would reach the ends of the earth. And I know that's what David did. Beautiful man, not a perfect man, but a beautiful man who was a picture of Jesus. Uh, I'll close with this as we have the musicians come forward. I remember when I was in high school, and I hope this guy is not watching this on live stream or anything, or one day he doesn't see it. But you guys ever, ever have those weird people in high school? Some of you guys were weird in high school. Huh? <laughs> there was this one guy in high school, his name was Dale Milnes, and I had him in wood shop and metal shop. I had all the hard classes. And, um, <laughs> and he would always get in trouble. He would always get in trouble. But he would always talk his way out of it. He was a good talker. He, he would talk his way out of it with excuses and reasons and all that kind of stuff. So much so that he became known. Everybody in the school knew him as the man who talks his way out of it. That's what they called him, the man who talks his way out of it. <laughs> and so I was thinking about how David's not talking his way out of it. But I think what he's doing is he's talking to God and he's praying his way out of it. And that's, that's what we need to do. We need to learn from this. Yeah, God is sovereign and yes, God will number our wanderings and yes, God will finish the work that he began. But don't you know that you have a part to do as well? You have to pray. You have to cry out to God. Things have to be woken up in your life again in order for God to bring that, that dawn of a new day. And so I pray that we'd be committed. I pray that we would know who he is. And as we sing these songs, understand, they're not just songs that we sing. This is how we fight. This is how we fight. And so as we fight the good fight, you watch what the enemy will do. He will run, right? When I cry out to the Lord, then my enemies will be turned back.